You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. It's a cold night at the very beginning of January, 1923, Rosewood, Florida. And there are black Rosewood citizens sloshing through the cold and murky Florida swamp water. There's families with only their worldly possessions in their hands and each other to lean on. In front of them, an unknown future. Behind them, their homes being burned and nothing but pure terror. But how, and most importantly, why did this happen? This is the story of the Rosewood Massacre, and this is the Redacted History Podcast. First off, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you are greatly appreciated. They say the average podcast doesn't make it past eight episodes. But here we are recording episode 10. Since we last recorded, we now have a new logo. It's fire, a new YouTube channel and a new Instagram. And the Instagram and the YouTube are where there's going to be a lot more just like miscellaneous bonus extra content. So you can check out those links in the show notes below. The pocket between the end of the 19th century and the early 1900s is so intriguing to me. This was a period of time where black people in the United States were no longer enslaved, but white people were doing everything they could to maintain a stronghold on their supremacy. And this exasperated last ditch effort to prove that they were still in charge was acted out through fear. That, that's it. No, I don't own you anymore, but you will still be afraid of me. And this was showcased through two things in specific that I'm going to talk about. Medium to large scale massacres and lynchings. We've heard of some of these black massacres, albeit none of them were taught in school. The only massacre that I was personally taught about in school was the Boston Massacre. And only like five colonists were killed or something. I, I don't know. R.I.P. though. But yeah, we have heard of some of these black massacres. We've heard of the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where a white woman said, hey, this black man sexually assaulted me and an entire black town was burned to the ground. Or we can talk about the Chicago Massacre of 1919, uh, which accompanied the Red Summer of 1919, where after World War I, white people were pretty pissed off for a number of reasons. None of them were to the fault of black people, but hey, let's take out our anger on them. Or what about the Elaine Massacre in Elaine, Arkansas? of 1919 or the Philadelphia move bombing of 1985 where the city of Philadelphia literally bombed their own city. No, never heard of those? Yeah, me neither until very recently. But here we are now. And then there were lynchings. We've all heard of lynchings and read about them or even seen them depicted in media, movies, TV shows. Through all of the 19th century and the majority of the 20th century, lynchings were used as the ultimate fear tactic for white people to use on black people. They were used to punish disobedient slaves, used to instill fear when the Ku Klux Klan rose to power, and were used when black people did, uh, let me see here, uh, let me check my notes. Um, nothing, nothing at all. A black person could be lynched for absolutely 
no reason. They could be lynched for lies. They could be lynched for looking the wrong way, walking on the wrong side of the street, talking to a white woman. Nothing. Black people were regularly lynched for no reason at all or because of a lie. We have the case of Emmett Till, for example. The Tuskegee Institute tabulated on an estimate of 3,446 lynchings to black people between the years of 1882 and 1968. Those numbers are widely conservative, and there isn't a documented record of lynchings before 1882. So think about how many lynchings happened between 1619 and 1882. That's literally 250 plus years of undocumented lynchings at a time when slavery was actually legal. We don't have any documentation of lynchings until after slavery was illegal. So this takes us to Florida, everybody's favorite state. Now in my social circles and on the internet, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, I see that Florida is always looked at as that crazy state, uh, as a state that is in the South, but not Southern per se. I don't think that people group Florida mentally with traditional Southern states like Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, especially in the context of slavery and Jim Crow. When in actuality, Florida was home to slavery and home to many racist Jim Crow laws and statutes thereafter. I found a Jim Crow, I found a random Jim Crow statute from 1895 that said, this statute made it a penal offense for any persons to conduct any school, any grade, either public or private, where whites and blacks are instructed or boarded in the same building or taught in the same class by the same teachers. The penalty for this is between $150 and $500 fine or imprisonment in the county jail between three and six months. So if you were caught teaching black and white students in the same schoolhouse, you could be thrown in jail for three to six months. I found another statute that said, this statute made it unlawful for any white person to intermarry with any Negro person. We've heard of this before. Uh, the penalty for this, performing such a ceremony punishable by a fine of $1,000, of which one half shall be paid to the informer. So if you snitched on someone, say, hey, I see that white, and that, that white woman and that black man over there, they're getting married, boom you just won yourself $500, congratulations. Governor Napoleon Bonaparte Broward, who was the sitting official for Florida from 1905 to 1909, he was the governor, he proposed that they find a location out of state for black people to live separately. This man was off his rocker. He wanted to literally evict black people from the state altogether. And none of these laws are shocking because we know what we know now, but it's still hard to read. So I say all of this to prepare us for a small, brief journey back to a time in Florida where racism, lynching, Jim Crow, and massacre were on full display. Rosewood, Florida is a small town in Levy County, Florida. It was settled in 1845, and interestingly enough, the first settlers consisted of both black and white people, which was unheard of for the time. It's 1845. This was unheard of, especially in the South, and especially uh, because 1845 was actually the year that Florida officially became a slave state. A large part of the Rosewood economy was from cedar, and most of the cedar trees in the area were cut down by 1890. And one of the most profitable mills, the cedar mill, closed as a result of this. 
This caused white people to flee from the town looking for other opportunity, and they found it in the small town of Sumner, Florida, which is in between Rosewood and Cedar Key, Florida. Rosewood and Cedar Key are only about nine miles apart, so that gives you an idea of how close Rosewood and Sumner are. When all of the cedar trees were gone, commercial pine trees were planted, and this caused a spur for a new economy. This new industry caused many black people seeking new opportunity to flock from states such as Georgia and South Carolina. And Rosewood began to become a close-knit, vibrant, and profitable black community. A Rosewood citizen who was eight years old at the time of the massacre in 1923 named Roby Morin was quoted saying, Everybody had something going. People owned acres of land, not just lots, and the houses were mostly two-story houses. The white folks really wanted those houses, too. That's why a lot of the white people from around there didn't want the mob to burn them down. But they burned them all anyway. Most of the homes were painted white. I didn't know there were any other color of paint except white. Every house in Rosewood was painted white. Rosewood's black population peaked at about 315 in 1915, and it was reported by citizen accounts that the black community in Rosewood was doing better than the white community in Sumner. Roby Morton also recalled that every three months or so, a long mule train would come in from Gainesville along the hard road with furniture and heavy things people had ordered from Sears and Roebuck. The white people from Sumner, they didn't buy such things. They lived in little shanties. It was the Rosewood people who had furniture on that mule train. You really have to take this into account. And there was a black community that is prospering in the South within direct proximity of a white community. But that could only last but for so long, right? Yo, if you like the podcast and you want to support me further, head on over to Patreon. You can find it down below in the show notes. This is where there will be extra bonus content for people. You can vote on the things that we talk about on this podcast. You want to talk about John Brown and Bleeding Kansas? You want to talk about the scramble for Africa? Or we could talk about the top 10 worst presidents of all time. It's your world. I'm just living in it. Patreon.com forward slash blackout. You can find it below in the show notes. Now let's get back to the show. Frances Fanny Taylor. She's the reason all of this happened. I'm going to refer to her as Fanny moving forward. Fanny was a 22-year-old white woman from Sumner in 1923. She was married to a 30-year-old white man named James. They had two young children, and James was your typical blue-collar worker at the time who left to go work at the mill. He would have to leave to go to work in the wee hours of the morning. Fanny was not very well known by her neighbors and was also described as not being all the way there in the head. January 1st, 1923. It's a normal winter Florida night like every other. Nothing out of the ordinary until a neighbor hears a deafening scream from Fanny's house. The neighbor who I couldn't identify grabbed her revolver and rushed to the house. Fanny Taylor was on the floor bruised with scuff marks on the floor. She was distraught and screaming that there had been a black man in her house who had attacked her. The neighbors searched the house but only found Fanny's baby and no one else. There was no black man to be seen. Fanny Taylor made an initial report that whoever broke into her home beat her, but there was no sexual assault involved. Now, there's a couple pieces of context for us to keep in mind here. This happened in Sumner, the all-white town. For a black man to have done this, he would have had to travel to Sumner from Rosewood. Hmm. 
A white woman saying that a black man assaulted her was basically a death sentence for whoever was accused. And there's a lot of irony preceding this event in the fact that the KKK held a rally of over 100 Klansmen 50 miles away in Gainesville, Florida the day before. They had a burning cross and a banner that said, first and always protect womanhood. Another important note was that Fanny had a black laundress named Sarah Carrier, who folks referred to as Aunt Sarah. Sarah's granddaughter gave an account that she was with her grandmother Sarah at Fanny's house after the incident was reported, and they watched a white man leave the house before noon. Sarah's granddaughter theorized, along with the black residents of Rosewood, that Fanny was having an affair. They got in a fight, and he beat her, and in order to save face and protect the lie, Fanny blamed the assault on a black man. <laughs> what black man? We don't know. She didn't, give a, she didn't give a name. The sheriff of Levy County, Elias Walker, started an investigation quickly. He rounds up a posse of men from Cedar Key, Otter Creek, Chiefland, and Bronson to help with the search. Reports stated that a black man named Jesse Hunter had escaped recently from a chain gang, and he was suspect number one. Reports state that as many as 400 white men gathered for the search and were deputized by Sheriff Walker. The sheriff and his large band of miscreants had bloodhounds and took the scent from Fanny's house and tracked it towards Rosewood to the house of a man named Aaron Carrier. The man was tortured and under duress, he implicated a man named Sam Carter for the incident. The gang of men found Sam, took him from his home and strung him up a tree in efforts to get him to confess. Sam Carter professed his innocence, but eventually led them to a house where he was supposedly keeping the fugitive. And at this point, the hounds failed to pick up any real scent. So Sam Carter was shot and killed out of frustration. The crowd dispersed and were now looking for a man named Sylvester Carrier in Rosewood. Three days later on January 4th, 1923, white men approached Sylvester's home, demanding he come out. When he didn't, the kids in the house that night reported that two white men rushed the house, killed the dog that was out front, and kicked the door where Sylvester shot and killed them. The crowd then panicked and dispersed. Gunfire was exchanged on both sides. Children and adults fled from the house into the swamps as gunfire was exchanged from both parties. The bodies of the two white men and Sylvester's mother, Sarah Carrier, were recovered. The reports of these two white men being killed caused a massive uproar. White men flooded into the town. The newspapers exaggerated everything that happened. Some white men poured in from out of state. And that's, first of all, that's wild. <laughs> You're coming in from out of state to go burn some black homes down. But yeah, some white men poured in from out of state and every single black house in Rosewood was burned to the ground. James Carrier son of Sarah Carrier, was taken to his mother's grave and shot and killed right there. The governor of Florida, Carrie Hardy, knew about the events happening in Rosewood and chose not to act. He eventually even went on a hunting trip while everything was happening. Sheriff Elias Walker actually advised the governor that no additional assistance was needed, so the National Guard was not deployed. Many black people were able to flee Rosewood in the destruction. Reports say that six black people and two white people were killed, while others say as many as 150 people were killed. The Rosewood Massacre lasted from January 1st, 1923 until January 7th, 1923. 
we will truly never know what happened. Other reports say there was a mass grave or multiple mass graves of black people in Rosewood, but it was never found. There are reports of people who were there at the time, children, adults who actually have given accounts of black bodies being dumped into trenches, black bodies being carried on carts by donkey mule to be dumped into trenches and burned. But, of course, they were never found. A grand jury in February of 1923 said that there was not enough evidence to indict anyone, and no white person has ever been charged in the massacre at Rosewood. Reparations were paid to some descendants and survivors in 1994, and there was major pushback from the legislator because they didn't want to establish precedent where black people would expect reparations. Oh no, black people expecting to be paid for generational trauma. Who would have thought? The legislature eventually decided on reparations of $150,000 to anyone who could actually prove they lived in Rosewood in 1923. And there was a pool of $500,000 to be pulled around to anybody who could prove that they were a descendant of any black person that lived in Rosewood in 1923. Nine survivors in all were compensated. Some descendants of survivors of Rosewood, after dividing the funds that they were given amongst their siblings and relatives, were only left with $100 or so. Oh yeah, remember that escaped prisoner that everyone was talking about? Yeah, he was never found. And Fanny and her husband ended up moving to another town where Fanny eventually died from cancer. Like I said, we will never truly know what happened in Rosewood. But I have some ideas. And I'm sure you do, too. Most black people who fled Rosewood left and never returned. Many of them were left to uh, rebuild their lives and ended up working, uh, you know, hard labor jobs. Many of them changed their last names in fear of being found. The events in Rosewood, of course, were buried for decades. The white people didn't acknowledge it, and the black people who left never to return were too afraid to talk. The story of Rosewood is yet another story of how a white woman's tears and unbridled racism and terror quite literally ruined a black community and destroyed generations of black people and generational wealth thereafter. Who knew what Rosewood could have been or grown into? I guess we'll never know. Until next time. Did you like this episode? Do you like all the other episodes? Let me know your thoughts. Don't be shy. Go down below and leave us a rating or a review. It goes a long way. Also, if you like this episode or any of the other episodes, screenshot yourself listening to the podcast, go on over to your Instagram story and tag us at redacted history underscore. Once again, I appreciate all of the support. It's absolutely mind blowing. I'll see y'all next week.